But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is episode 2 of season 8 of The Body Serve. I know a lot of you all would have hoped that this Novak Australia fiasco episode would have would have been our season opener, but as is our want, we took our time. <laughs> yes, uh, well, flattered that some of you were calling for an emergency episode, uh, flattered that you wanted our opinion, but... I don't view podcasting as a, a breaking news format, personally, and in this case, specifically, more than most tennis events, there was just so much, you know, half-truths, misinformation, I just didn't really want to commit things to tape that we would have to later retract. So many professional journalists had to retract information, and it wasn't really their fault, they're on deadline, but I didn't want to put out a podcast where most of it would be moot by the time you listen to it. Which is to say you will probably never, ever have a body surf emergency episode. <laughs> Even never, if it's never something never. like a Serena retirement episode, you're going to get a more thoughtful, drawn out affair than something with just us riffing off the cuff right as it happens. So uh, disavow yourselves. Well, uh, maybe next time we can do like a spaces. Yeah. Uh, there's the thing we've never tried. Twitter That's spaces, true. a Twitch. Uh, I feel like the spaces is a very dangerous place to be. <laughs> given <laughs> how many people could be in there who could be. What, what's the word? Well, but you have to invite people to speak. It's not just a free for Sure. Mm -hmm. But you don't know who's like recording what you say and like Fair using enough. it against you. There are, <laughs> so, there are a lot of bad faith actors. So perhaps they've been overruled on the spaces. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. That's more likely than an emergency episode. <laughs> uh, no doubt most of you have been following this Novak Djokovic visa vaccination saga over the past five or six days. Uh, first, I want to shout out some of the excellent reporters on the ground in Australia who we've been indebted to throughout this this week. Uh, Karen Sweeney is one of them. She's a court reporter for the Australian Associated Press who helped so many of us to understand what was going on in the hearing last night. Paul Sakal is another uh, great reporter. He's a political reporter from The Age. And he's just been on the story and really breaking it down and helping non-Australians understand what's going on. Paul made an appearance on No Challenges Remaining. Highly recommend listening to that episode. If you, like us, were a little bit scatterbrained about the timelines and about how everything went down. In this episode, I've struggled to, to figure out what the correct tone is to strike here, like what our role is in recording this. And I think what I want to do, what we want to do, is lay out a clear timeline, first of all, and then discuss some of the thematic elements that have been coming up and hopefully try to contextualize what's going on mm -hmm. with the full knowledge that we are not experts in Australian immigration law. Yes. Also, 
at this point, we have enough of an idea of what's going on to where your tone could be anything you want it to be, should your spirit direct you oh, in that way. You've given me license. Because this is some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I think off the top, we should probably pull back a little and just say, like, this is an incredibly absurd sequence of events. Mm-hmm. This is a, a bizarre thing. You have the number one player in the world in immigration detention. You have Nigel Farage, a noted nativist, coming to the defense of someone mistreated, supposedly, by a country's immigration services. Not just coming to his defense, but flying to Serbia (laughs) to take tea in the Djokovic family tea room. Yeah. If that doesn't scream political opportunist... I don't know what does. Well, other things on this episode, as it turns out. (laughs) But I I want to direct the listener's attention to the indisputable fact that so much of this could have been avoided, not just by Novak, we'll get into that, but by the Grand Slams and the ITF. Do you recall the swiftness with which they got together, they banded together, to put Naomi Osaka in her place. Yes. We are at a point in this pandemic where it's not just, oh, well, we have to live with it. Yes, I mean, that's becoming a part of life, you know, but the pandemic is different now. We are in the midst of a global surge of a new variant that has thrown everything on its head. So at a bare minimum, to protect their own interests, to protect their big money events from being able to go on these four grand slams at a minimum should require their players to be vaccinated that is a base minimum if you are watching everything unfold and you see omicron coming like it it blew up everywhere overnight that could happen again say that happens again with a new variant in march Mm -hmm. what then and although the vaccine does not prevent vaccinated people from getting the disease, obviously, it does reduce the chances. And we know there's a bit of a denominator problem, right? Most of the people infected in the U.S. are unvaccinated. Of course, lots and lots, millions Mm -hmm. of vaccinated people have it as well. But the vaccines do work in preventing people from going to the hospital, possibly making you contagious for fewer days. It's not perfect. But You know, people will say, well, each country has its own entry requirements, but there's nothing stopping the Grand Slams for superseding or making even more rigorous entry requirements for the people who are playing in their events. They'll probably get sued and have to to deal with that in court, but they can still do it. Novak's lawyer sat there arguing for him to roam free in Australia as an unvaccinated person. Meanwhile, he could not by their own rules, enter their own offices. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. That really happened. This is what I mean when I say absurd. That's absurd. That's hilarious in a really sick way. 97 of the top 100 ATP players are vaccinated. This we know now. So this idea that the Australian Open would have suffered en masse, that it would have been a calamitous turn of events for the tournament to require vaccination, it doesn't hold water because pretty much everybody is there. And so what this boils down to is, are we going to go out of our way 
Craig Tiley to concoct, construct a scenario whereby we can finagle the rules to get Novak Djokovic there. This is what it boils down to. So the context, kind of what kicked off this whole issue is that, you know, Australia has been one of the strictest countries in the world with regard to its border policies during the pandemic. It had been keeping COVID numbers low. Since those rules have been liberalized a bit, you know, we're seeing a huge wave in Australia, over 30,000 cases per day and more. The Australian Open had been assisting players into applying for medical exemptions if they were not vaccinated. Now, the federal government in Australia has a pretty strict and small list of reasons for exemptions, and a recent COVID infection is not one of them. However, the state of Victoria, alongside Tennis Australia, counted a recent COVID-19 infection as a reason for exemption. And not long before Novak Djokovic boarded that plane, Scott Morrison himself said that we will still defer to the state governments as to whether or not they'll be letting people in. Right. So you've already got a confusing mishmash here of jurisdictions and levels of government, right? We know that in Australia, like in the United States and Canada and many countries, the federal government controls immigration policy. In Australia this year, we had the state of Victoria and Tennis Australia granting exemptions to players while making a, a pretty critical error by departing from federal immigration policy. So like there wasn't communication between these two levels. And what complicated that even further is that the Victorian government and the federal Morrison government have been at loggerheads for years at this point. And right. we are in the middle of an election year. And so the political stakes are heightened whereby folks aren't going to be acting in good faith, necessarily. Mm -hmm. So toward the end of 2021, these medical review boards, which are set up through cooperation between Tennis Australia and the state of Victoria, they're reviewing player applications blindly with names and countries removed. There's a deadline of December 10th to apply for this exemption. Now remember that date. December 10th. Yeah, it's going to be important later. Something missing here for me, as we look back in hindsight, Tennis Australia and the Victorian government working together on these exemption panels, it should have been Tennis Australia, the Victorian government, and the federal government. Yes, because essentially when you're getting an exemption to play the Australian Open, you're getting just that. Tennis Australia cannot tell you you're allowed to enter the country. That's not their call, right? And it's not the state government's call either. Despite what Scott Morrison says. Oh. Because ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, yeah. they wield the power to do whatever they want. They have overriding power over everything. So unless... Pretty much, yeah. Unless you have uh, a binding contract in writing from the federal government saying, yes, we see what you've done here and we will honor it. This was always going to be a possibility. Given... Mm -hmm. The changing nature of the pandemic, things happen quickly, overnight, on a public health level, and also on a political level. So getting back to the timeline of how these things unfolded here, right? The first thing that we learned with respect to this, this latest news was on December 28th. And while it seemed definitely notable, 
newsworthy. We didn't know what it would have been portending. Mm-hmm. On December 28th, Tom McDowell, the Australian Open biosecurity manager, resigns. Just up and resigns. Yeah, and this set off some alarm bells on Twitter. I don't know about elsewhere, but people were like, oh, this is odd. After Craig Tiley announced that, hey, we're going to be honoring legitimate medical exemptions, your biosecurity manager resigns abruptly. Okay. So I want to know what did Tom McDowell know that made him take that stance and lead him to resign? If anything, right? On January 4th, this kicked off the the most recent saga. Novak Djokovic tweets a picture of himself on an airport tarmac with the words, Today I'm heading down under with an exemption permission. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't say what the exemption entails. He has been, as you know, very coy about whether he's vaccinated, uh, if he has any medical conditions that prevent him from being vaccinated. You say coy, I say playing in our faces. Yes. So the exemption permission was a a very... Vague. Uh, yeah, and it was a very deliberate choice of words. So you got this guy ready to board an airplane saying, hey, I'm coming. And then while he's in the air, a lot is happening. It takes a while to fly from Dubai <laughs> right. to Melbourne. So this is January 4th. We learned that the Ministry of Home Affairs had granted Novak a visa, but they still, to this day, maintain it was an automated process based on this online questionnaire, essentially based on the honor system, and that uh, a, a nation reserves the right to actually review the, the veracity of your documents and your answers once you enter the country, which mm-hmm. any of anyone, any of you who have gone through customs or immigration know this to be true. Yes, but there's also a lot more to it. I didn't have a Canadian passport until, what, 2013? And so I navigated going to school in the U.S., traveling back and forth from the U.S. to Canada to visit family. Even when I'd moved back to Canada after school, there were a good, what, six years where I was still traveling to the U.S. to see your family on a visitor's visa. Mm -hmm. And so I was traveling on a visa that was affixed to my passport, one that you had to apply for, send your passport away for, and have it returned to you in the mail. It became clear to me through this whole process that a lot of folks do not understand what it means to have to travel depending on a visa. Mm-hmm. To not have a, one of the more desirable passports. Yes. It's why Svetlana Kuznetsova had all those troubles a couple of years ago trying to get her visa to come and play the summer swing mm-hmm. in the U.S. And a lot of times, once your visa has expired, you cannot reapply for that visa while you're in that country. So, for example, I could not reapply for my visitor's visa while I was in the U.S. I had to be in another country, mm-hmm. in my case, Canada, where I lived, and I had to go through that process through the U.S. Embassy in Canada before I could then return to the U.S. with that visa in my passport. So it's, a, it's very complicated for a lot of people to do just a mundane vacation, right. let alone travel to a country to work. Like, you, mm-hmm. you know, coming for cocktails on beach is one thing, but to show up at the country's front door and be like, hey, I'm here to earn some of your dollars. Like, that complicates mm-hmm. things even further. It turns out Australia's process is not like other countries. It differs from country to country. 
or at least for this type of visa where you like you said you fill out the online form you get i'm assuming a provisional approval dependent on what you show what you bring to the table when you land in the country so it's not a blanket approval right but Novak's lawyers did mention this in the hearing that when you know you fill out the application online and you get a response saying you're approved to come to the country it was reasonable for him to expect that he had been approved and i i totally understand that line of argument i think i think it's misleading I think that's a line of argument that one can benefit from when you have the resources. Oh, well, of to course. Benefit I, from. I mean, aside from all that, I I do think that his side had a real point about that, about the procedure. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, I sit here and I roll my eyes because I am fully aware that even with my American visitors visa well and good in my passport affixed, I could be turned away for any number for, of reasons. For any, any number of reasons. Right. And this boil this is really the foundation of immigration law, right? A country has the right to refuse entry to any foreign national for any reason. It can be a discriminatory reason. We made that trip together so many times. How many times did we have to pull off to the side by car? And then I had to go inside and do some like mm-hmm. whole rigmarole. Answer all the bullshit, same questions again. Get another little card affixed to my stapled to my passport. And every single time I went through that process, it was like a lump in your throat. Yeah. You know, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. You're at the mercy of these people and their whims for that day. And to, to think naively that there's one uniformed way that everybody is treated at the border, given the same circumstances... That's foolhardy as well. Mm-hmm. So while Novak is in the air, the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, says to the press, basically, uh, it it's up to the state. You know, basically trusting the state of Victoria, basically did the right thing as part of the medical exemption process. Things start to change while he's in the air. The Minister of Home Affairs, Karen Andrews, puts out a statement saying, um... While the federal government will be applying the federal immigration rules to any exemptions given by other bodies. Which tracks with what we think we know about federal immigration law. Right. right? But the messaging changed a little bit from what Scott Morrison said Mm -hmm. to Karen Andrews saying, well, wait a second. Uh, We're going to go by the federal rules no matter what, which makes sense legally. But it's a bit of a departure from what Morrison said originally. So I wonder, did they learn something? In that day that Djokovic was traveling, did they learn something about public opinion, about whether letting him in the country would not be beneficial politically to them? So basically, when the federal government inquired with the Victorian government about the exemption, the Victorian government then passes it back to the feds. They're, they're, <laughs> right. they're playing volleyball with yes. Djokovic and in the air. Nobody wants to own this. Now, Novak lands late on January 5th. He's held overnight in the Melbourne airport. And on Thursday, January 6th, the Australian government cancels his visa. He's told he needs to leave the country. Scott Morrison tweets, Mr. Djokovic's visa has been canceled. Rules are rules, especially when it comes to our borders, and etc. Rules are rules, especially when it comes to me needing to score political points and looking like I'm tough on the border and the prime minister that you need to lead you through these tough times. Right. 
The Australian Border Force said that Mr. Djokovic failed to provide appropriate evidence to meet the entry requirements to Australia. So at this point, Novak is whisked away to a detention hotel. I should say a hotel that's used as a detention center. And initially we're told that there's going to be an immediate court hearing. This may not drag on. Then we hear, well, this is Thursday night. He's going to be in that hotel room until Monday when this is finally sorted out. And then all manner of hell breaks loose. Yeah. So we should say that the reason he was detained is because he appealed the decision to cancel the visa. He had the option to essentially be deported. He had the option to get on a plane and go back. They didn't care where he went as long as he left Australia. But that comes with the risk of being banned from the country for three years. That's not a an automatic thing, but the immigration minister has that authority. Mm-hmm. Nobody has the right to enter another country. You have a right to enter the United States because you are a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're not saying that that's moral or right. That's no. just how, that's how the law is. works, right? So on January 6th, Novak is seconded to the Park Hotel in Melbourne, which, as you said, has been used for housing asylum seekers. Many of these people have been in the hotel for months, years. Actually detained. Literally detained, right? With no no option to leave. The hotel was, well, I should say, the hotel was only recently converted to uh, an immigrant detention center. It was previously a COVID hotel. It was changed over, I think, in the past year. Because we learned this from Paul Sakal's appearance on NCR, that the the really big outbreak that happened in Victoria last year, Ground Zero was that quarantine hotel. Yeah, yeah. Reportedly, the conditions are not great. It's not exactly a, a pleasure trip, this hotel. Uh, one of the asylum seekers who was detained there, who goes by the name of Mehdi, from Iran, said that they had apparently screwed the windows shut. The windows cannot open. Uh, A huge crowd has appeared outside of the hotel in support of Djokovic, alongside people who are protesting the detention of asylum seekers. People are singing Balkan folk songs. They've come with signs. Like, this is a thing. On January 8th, news breaks that the reason... Djokovic believed he had an exemption is because he cited a positive COVID case based on the result of a PCR test he took on December 16th. Journalists and fans tweet photos and videos of appearances that he made between the days of the 16th and the 17th, saying, uh, okay, he's maskless, he's not distanced, he is literally positive with COVID-19 at this time. When did he get the results? And this is a departure from his public, quote-unquote, performance of his first case of COVID-19. He made sure to let everybody know on social media that he was quarantining, that he was isolated. Well, one difference would be, too, is that he actually told people that time. Right. Since then, documents have been released. The, uh, The actual document with the QR code has been leaked, and we understand that the results came later that same day on the 16th. It wasn't that he had to wait two, three days like most of us for a PCR test result. And so at this point, with Novak entering this into evidence, with that QR code 
that can be scanned, showing that he tested positive on December 16th, it's either one of two things. It's either he recklessly endangered folks, including a bunch of kids, by being in public maskless those days, or he made the whole thing up so that he could play in the Australian Open. At this point, none of the options are good. None of them reflect well on him. Not one. Because even if, even if you hold the belief that he, okay, let's say the results came through, but he didn't know about them to the next day, he's still not isolating with a potential positive case. He's not taking any of the most minor precautions, like wearing a mask, like everybody has to do here, anywhere you go. And if you want to take the (laughs) position that, well, you know, somebody in his camp probably kept it from him for a couple days. Well, then he didn't find out then. Well, that's psychotic. Didn't find out then. Well, yes, it's psychotic. And two, there is no two. Like, (laughs) we're at the point where, like, this is what it is. Like, this is 22, 23 months down the road. If you don't know that you're supposed to isolate after testing positive for COVID... I don't know what to tell you. I guess you just don't believe it's real. Then we learn that Tennis Australia had a deadline of December 10th to apply for that medical exemption. Novak did not apply for this medical exemption until December 16th when that positive test appeared. Mm -hmm. So what was the plan if he didn't conveniently get COVID in the interim? Why did it take him so long to conveniently get COVID? Uh, I mean, and had he contracted the disease later in the month of December, he probably wouldn't have been able to come at all. It's great. I mean, it's great timing. I don't blame people who are skeptical of this test. What this all sounds like to me is that Craig Tiley did some serious orchestrating behind the scenes. He was the man going going between the Victorian government and liaising with the federal government and... It seems in certain spots, picking and choosing what he wanted to believe, what he think he could then use to get Novak into the country. And then if you do believe that this test is spurious, it's then a phone call or a text message to say, well, hey, buddy, like this is the only way we can get you in. Right. W- what can you do? Can you lick a few rails in a very, you know, COVID heavy spot? <laughs> can you stop? <laughs> we I mean, we know now that. Okay, let's assume that he he did test positive. He went out the following days to public events with no mask, no distancing, with children. Uh, L'Equipe reporters even said that they did an in-person interview with him and there was no mention of a positive COVID test. It was a photo shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, pick your poison. Neither option sounds great. No. And this is why we say everybody in this story looks horrible how craig tiley still has a job is beyond me he made the case that the australian open will be seriously imperiled if we cannot have these unvaccinated players here that's that's crazy because 97 of the top 100 men are there like that is not something that holds water because really what he's saying is if Novak can't play, it'll be a big problem. Yeah, but he know? can't say that publicly. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's working behind the scenes, as it turns out, specifically on behalf of Novak. And why, if you have a deadline of December 10th, is that not adhered to? Mm-hmm. Now, the weekend is uh, a mess. 
obviously, all over social media and the news. There's so much confusion and misinformation being bounced around. We finally get to Monday, January 10th, and this is the day of the hearing. Meanwhile, as you said, Nigel Farage is in Belgrade with the Djokovic family to, to be by their side uh, during the hearing. He's been on record as saying that the UK should adopt an Australian-style immigration policy. Yeah, but it, except in this case, right? I wonder why. Because as we've seen with a lot of the alt-right, specifically in the United States, they take policies that they have been so vocally against and turn it back on us when it's to defend one of their own. Oh, yeah. When it's to defend somebody that looks like them or shares the same ideologies of, as them. Like, if I'm in Novak's position and I show up somehow on this tarmac in Australia and I'm trying, trying somehow to massage the situation and get into the Australian Open, I would be horrified that this man has showed up in my living room and is kikiing with my parents. Yeah. I would be mortified. And, uh, you know, Larcha, I try to avoid blaming Novak or, or anyone for sins of the father, so to speak. And we, we've we seen the Djokovic family really recede from the public tennis spotlight. We don't see them at tournaments anymore. Until now. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I don't know why that is. They're making up for I lost can only, time. I can only speculate as to why that is. But I try not to blame Novak for the behavior and the opinions of his parents, like with any player. Uh, but this is uh, this is hard to ignore. So the hearing goes on. There's uh, many of you were probably trying to follow it via live stream or on Twitter. There were tons of technical issues that probably should have been foreseen. The streams went down. They came in and out. After the adjournment at lunch, I think they released a private stream for journalists to follow along with so they could just get it done with in one day. It finally came back for me. I don't know if other people had access to it the whole time and I didn't. But my YouTube stream finally just popped back on for the verdict. Oh, it was, I mean, it was kind of interesting. It's full of a lot of legalese that regular people do not understand, right? So Which is I, fine, we're not lawyers. Right, I was not trying to pretend that I knew what was going on. I was trying my best to just hold on and follow along. But after a while, it was like, oh God, this is going to be all day. I can't stay up for this. Essentially, Novak got off on a technicality. One that was pretty much telegraphed from the start of this hearing. It was very clear from the start that this judge was sympathetic to the cause. Well, I hesitate to say that because uh, some of the court reporters who have seen many of these hearings say, hold on, sometimes you may feel that a judge is telegraphing their sympathies in some way, but it doesn't always mean that, right? It means maybe that they're asking questions or they're using that as a strategy to get more information from either side. And so I don't want to impugn this judge hmm. and his ruling. Okay. But you're right. Like he, he basically ruled on an issue of procedure. It all boiled down to the border force telling Djokovic that he had a certain amount of time to provide some information and they didn't give him that full time. And we, I mean, we heard before the hearing that what Novak's lawyers had to prove is that the government in some way violated the law or messed up the process. And the judge ruled that they did. So fine. What is weird is that it never really veered into whether the exemption was legitimate. That wasn't actually ruled on. 
or why in fact he was denied in the first place really like the the material elements of the case itself that has been discussed in public ad nauseum for the last five days barely any of that yeah was discussed we didn't really hear much of that meanwhile a czech player renata vorakova and an unnamed official by this point they've already been deported from the country because once this happened with novak we came to find out that oh well other players were let in so why is he being denied Mm -hmm. so they had already been let in Mm -hmm. so now this prompts a review of other visas that have been issued and two people had their visas canceled and were deported Mm -hmm. and the reason that was given for that discrepancy is that those other not other players that one other player and official they had far more extensive documents to support the visa that they applied for in that online form. And so when they showed up at the airport, they brought as much. This is another thing. When you, as an as an immigrant, as somebody who's lived the visa life, when you go to these interviews, when you go to the border, you bring as much information as you could possibly need. And if you think you've got enough, bring some more. Mm-hmm. So allegedly... Renata brought four pieces of documentation to support her PCR results, laboratory results, which doesn't seem to be the case with what Novak brought with his one piece of paper with the QR code. And also, a lot of his supporting documents, whatever they were, were written on Tennis Australia letterheads, which supports Mm -hmm. the idea that I'm espousing here on this podcast I told you to follow your tone, follow where your Mm -hmm. tone led you. This is where my tone is leading me. (laughs) Supports the idea that Craig Tiley was orchestrating this behind the scenes from the jump. Right. Those two are known buddies. They are friends. Yes, that is very true. But Tennis Australia was helping other players through this process as well. Where this breaks down is that Craig would either have to admit to an extreme level of incompetence... Or preferential treatment. Like, mm-hmm. it's one or the other. Yep. You, you know, it could be both. That's but, a, it, that's about to but say. it can't be zero. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the, but this is not funny, right? Vorakova has been deported, sent back to Czech Republic, facing a potential three-year ban from Australia. She does not have the resources to fight this in court like Djokovic does. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have politicians flying across the globe to go sit in her parents' living room for her parents to hold press conferences claiming that their son is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we approach upon this Orthodox holiday. Like, they literally sat there in those press conferences and spoke about him like he was the Messiah. Quote, he is the leader of the free world. Yeah. Not to mention the players who got the Sputnik vaccine, who thought that they were in compliance only to find out later that Australia is not going to accept that vaccine, and they cannot come to the Australian Open. So Natalia Vikleyansova from Russia is one of those players mm-hmm. who was denied uh, a visa. And that, too, brings to light the political nature of which vaccines are accepted in various parts of the world. Right. So you have players who, in good faith, did get vaccinated, can't come, but there are other players who did not get vaccinated for personal reasons. See, the... 
this is what I'm learning. The threshold for a medical exemption is incredibly high mm -hmm. and it's incredibly rare, right? As Paul so, Sakal said on NCR, it's like one of five or six really serious conditions right. that somebody who is a top elite athlete would not have. Or probably doesn't. Anaphylaxis is one of those reasons, right? Which can happen. But Djokovic has said, he said to the border force that he did not have a, a medical, a medically indicated reason, a reaction to a vaccine, right? Personal belief is not covered in the medical exemptions. And so there's no way around it. There's been an uneven treatment meted out all around. Djokovic was treated poorly in spots based on the political machinations going around back and forth, being tossed around between Tennis Australia, the Victorian government, the federal government. Mm -hmm. You had Vorokova being the sacrificial lamb here, having already played in a tournament since she arrived. Another option for these players and for Craig Tiley was to just not go, to say, I've chosen to not take this vaccine for my personal beliefs, which are my own. Mm. Tennis Angren did that. And I'm just, mean... gonna, I'm just going to sit this one out. This is not, we're not here to heap praise on those people. I'm just saying that that was an option. Mm. Next, we're going to go through some of the major players in this story and hopefully kind of weave in some of the narrative. Major, pla major players in this story because, as so many have pointed out, this has the makings of a movie. It really does. Do you remember like reading Shakespeare and they have the first page as the dramatis personae? Mm -hmm. All the, the characters you're going to need to know? Well, here it is. <laughs> Craig Tiley, the head of Tennis Australia. Is this Macbeth? Who's Macbeth? <laughs> Tiley has long been known as an extremely powerful figure in not only tennis, but in world athletics, right? This guy has built the Australian Open into something that is very formidable. It's become a very important slam, an enjoyable slam for the players to go to. It's his fiefdom. We t we mentioned on our previous episode, our season opener, where we talked about the 1999 WTA season. And we at the end of it, we, we told you what the prize money was for all four slams. And the Australian Open lagged behind by a considerable margin. It oh, was yeah. like almost half as much as the other three in terms of prize money to the winner. This was for a long time by far the fourth slam, the the least important. Rebranded itself as the happy slam. Like you said, somewhere where the players want to go. They uh, make us believe that it is like the Disney world of tennis for the players, right? right? And it, it may be. Uh, so Tylee has developed a reputation as this visionary businessman but also alongside that has developed kind of this machiavellian reputation we've seen over the past few years with the bushfires with the extreme heat with covid uh, there the quarantine measures uh, last year right there always lately seems to be a major drama in the beginning of january with regard to australia he told us last year well duh the top players get preferential treatment uh, <laughs> and here we are again. Right. More to the point of what's happening this year is that Tylee claims he believed that the Victoria government had the final say on entry to the country. I would, you know, he is not a politician, but most people know that 
The federal government has the final say on immigration, period. Also, we've come to learn that these medical exemptions were exemptions to play the tournament, which is a totally different thing. To be free from quarantine in Victoria and play the Australian Open. And what's what's really surprising to me through all of this, and I've been guilty of it in not giving the Victorian government enough flack, they were very straightforward from the start, Dan Andrews in particular, that this is not going to happen. That nobody who is unvaccinated will be permitted to play the Australian Open. Sets aside even Mm -hmm. entering the country, that under his watch, nobody who would be playing at the Australian Open would be unvaccinated. Alongside Tylee, we'll introduce the officials from the state of Victoria. There's Premier Dan Andrews. There's the acting premier and the Minister of Coordination of Transport for COVID-19, Jacinta Allen. She's doing both of those roles right now. She's an MP, but also acting premier. Because Dan Andrews is on leave. Leave for vacation, it seems. I just looked that up. At the first part of that leave, he was found to be a close contact at at an event that he attended right when he started his leave. There was a gentleman who was acting premier at that time, and now for the second half of this leave, it's now Jacinta Allen. Now, initially, there was confusion over whether a previous COVID-19 infection was grounds for you know, a medical contraindication to receiving the vaccine. Uh, we learn now that it wasn't actually confusion. Tylee had pled with the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunization, ATAGI, that players with a single dose or players who have had a recent infection had to be exempted in order for the tournament to be viable. Now, documents have now been released that in writing on November 18th, Tylee was told no, plainly, from the federal government. This was even before Novak applied for the visa at the end of November. So it's clear that there's a lot of infighting between Tennis Australia, the state of Victoria, the federal government. Nobody really wants to take responsibility. Jacinta Allen, who's the current acting premier, says Tennis Australia did not inform her government that they received letters from the federal government saying that previous infection was not a grounds for exemption. So what it comes down to, as we said before, the Victoria government and Tennis Australia can grant an exemption to play the tournament, but that's it. That, that's all they can do. They can't grant you an exemption to enter the country because they don't control that. Now, both The Age and The Herald Sun reported that the Tennis Australia advice to players, which they released in December, included a falsehood that previous COVID infections were a valid exemption. Tennis Australia denied this, denied that they released that and denied that they knew that. But clearly, their players, including Novak Djokovic, was under that impression. Tennis Australia gave them that impression. They claim that government websites indicated this and that's what they were going off of right but i mean tennis australia received letters from the federal government that i guess got got lost in the mail so for example like you and i if it's a holiday and you're looking to go somewhere and you're not sure if it's open you check google and google says it's open but you're like eh, it's a holiday it might actually be closed let me call that place and see if they're open here the pandemic functioning as the holiday 
you know, the extenuating circumstance. So if I'm Craig Talley, maybe not the best comparison, but if I'm Craig Talley and I'm going off of just something that I've read on the internet, being a well-connected person that he is, does he not get on the phone with somebody to say, do I have this explicit assurance from you? Why is there so much passing the blame around, right. shucking responsibility when nobody is able to pinpoint with precision what exactly is needed here? Was the goal all along to create this environment of confusion whereby whoever needed to sneak into the country in the dead of night could do so, but for a misguided, ill-timed social media announcement of their impending arrival. <laughs> but at the same time, why is the acting premier of a state of Australia saying, Tennis Australia didn't tell us what the federal uh, government told them? Yeah. What? You're literally the government. Yeah. This is a state government, right? This is like New York State saying, oh, um, the president of the Buffalo Bills didn't tell me about United States immigration policy. It's like... Listen, leave <laughs> Jessica Pagula's daddy out of this, okay? I just mentioned that because it's local to where I'm from. But it really is. Like, why would a state government rely on a sporting body to tell them what federal law is? You're right. Yep, right? You're right. Okay. So the other, one of the other major players here is obviously the federal government of Australia and the leader of the government, Scott Morrison, the prime minister. This is an election year for Morrison. He is conservative. He's under attack for the lack of rapid antigen tests, the shutdown of a lot of major PCR testing clinics, exploding case numbers that Australia has not seen. You know, many of us in the U.S. and Canada have seen these mm -hmm. insane case numbers for uh, years now. The, Australia is not used to this. The climate was different a year ago because they had been through all these intense lockdowns. There were no vaccines in sight, and they were very much concerned with protecting the hard work that they had done to that point and making it count. Mm -hmm. So he clearly needs a win politically. People are mad in Australia. People are sick. And there was a massive public backlash to the news that Djokovic was getting an exemption into the country because Australians, many Australians, had been unable to return to their country for many months. Many of the people in line for uh, visas or asylum had been turned away or pushed to the back of the line. Not only were people unable to return to the country, for a long time there was no interstate travel. So if you lived in Western Australia and you had a family member who died, you could not go to that funeral. You could not go to see your parent. You couldn't just go to their front door and say, hi, from, from afar. None of that. It was complete isolation. So Morrison has positioned this as a, a strong border policy, as a national security protecting Australians. And we've seen right-wing governments use the borders as a way to argue that they're protecting the country's citizens. He said, Our strong border policies have been critical to Australia having one of the lowest death rates in the world from COVID. We are continuing to be vigilant. And so this is how he explains the reversal on the Djokovic visa. But we're, we're kind of learning throughout this pandemic that at one time we viewed Australia as this beacon, as a country that was doing it right. And it's possible now that... They were delaying the inevitable 
that they were exploiting COVID, but sort of continuing their extremely repressive immigration policies. Exploiting COVID too. Yes. I read an op-ed in The Age by Osman Faruqi, who was arguing that the Morrison government has been relying very heavily on border protection, but they've been neglecting public health investment, right? So things like getting vaccines out to people fast enough, testing, contact tracing, increasing the capacity at hospitals. And so you see now that Australia is in this present crisis, perhaps because those things weren't pursued thoroughly enough. It is very much a conservative playbook, right? We've seen it in the U.S. We've seen it here in Canada, whereby when times get tough, the first thing in the playbook is immigrants. Mm -hmm. To close down borders, to make them tighter, to build a wall, to do all these things, to perpetuate this myth and to give citizens this false sense of security, to prey on people's bigotry, Mm -hmm. almost. And you can only keep a continent locked down for so long, right? Because when COVID enters, and especially the Omicron variant, we know how incredibly uh, contagious it is. So you need to have that public health infrastructure in place to deal with it. And so this is why Morrison is catching a ton of flack now, because it's like, well, what's the plan now? COVID's here. And what is the plan now for Novak? Because if you've done this about face, this 180, whereby a couple days before you're like, you know, Victoria, you've got this. This is not my business. And then you take it upon yourself to make this a political gain. How do you now walk this back and say, well, yeah, we are, we're actually not going to kick out Novak. He can stay. Meanwhile, his presence in that detention center, in that hotel, has brought international attention to the plight of refugees and immigrants and asylum seekers in Australia. What do you do when you allow Novak to stay, but those people are still detained? Right. So... The prime minister probably saw detaining Novak or deporting Novak as a, a slam dunk. But now people are looking at what is happening to immigrants and asylum seekers when they enter Australia. And these are admittedly things that I didn't know, that, that so many of us weren't aware of. No. And it remains to be seen whether the spotlight stays on these problems when the Djokovic saga is resolved. It remains to be seen if having been... In that facility, he himself will turn the light on that situation, being the leader of the free world. I'm giving you side eye right now. But Those are is, not my words. Those are the words of yes. his, his father. But that is the best case scenario, right? That Djokovic comes out of this as an advocate for asylum seekers and vulnerable people around the world. There, there would be, uh, I mean, that would be the, the best thing that could possibly happen. A friend of ours, uh, Frith, on Twitter, who we had on the show years ago, has been great at covering this from the Australian perspective. And she said, quote, rules are rules, uh, except when business investor visa holders are pushed to the front of the line during the COVID-19 pandemic, when citizens and visa holders from other countries were shut out of the country. So Australia let over 10,000 wealthy foreign investors enter when they were keeping their own citizens out. So we're beginning to understand that the border policies were not uniform. They were not all designed to attack COVID-19, but there were some political issues at play as well. Mm -hmm. 
with every major issue that happens on this show, we try and question the things that we accept as truth and accept as things that we know. When the Naomi Osaka French Open press conference thing erupted last year, we wanted to know, well, why are we so gung-ho about just accepting as truth that press conferences are a must, that they need to happen, that they don't need to be reformed? You know, why why do certain things automatically get defended just because that's the way it's always been, the way they've always been. And so in this instance, what really needs to be looked at and something that's been very eye-opening for me with following Frith on her timeline is to take a look at ourselves and the things that we think we know about the world when it comes to immigration and immigrants Mm -hmm. and crossing borders and the powers that countries should be able to exercise to these ends. The, the whole concept of a visa, how it privileges people from countries and necessarily oppresses others. People who have economic privilege, language skills, can get a certain number of points on a quota system, right? Why is it that you as a U.S.-born citizen should, based on where you were born, get to see the world? Right. And why do, other people why do I shouldn't? deserve that? And other people don't. When we know that the majority, I would say, of U.S. citizens have no desire to even leave their state, let alone travel across. <laughs> well, I don't know if majority. Maybe it's not is... a majority, but it's a it's a large sentiment, right? <laughs> yes. I Speaking from experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure on this show, positive on this show, we've said something like, wow, Australia is really doing this right mm-hmm. as far as the pandemic. Oh, right? Yeah. And now I realize, oh, God, like, did were we really misguided in saying something of that? And yes, they contained the pandemic and they, you know, reduced spread within their borders and the number of deaths, especially when they didn't have a vaccine. But, uh, you know, were we missing something big? So going forward with this being an election year, keep an eye out for what's going on in Australia when it comes to these detainees, these asylum seekers and the Australian government's politicization of it potential further politicization of it because it almost certainly won't end once the Australian Open ends. Nor should it. No. Because of all this attention on the Park Hotel, some mainstream media has done interviews with people who have been detained at this hotel. This uh, gentleman, Mehdi, who I mentioned earlier, he arrived in Australia by boat nine years ago. He's only 24 years old and he's been in detention in a number of places for nine years. Nauru, then in Brisbane, now in Melbourne, and he's talked about his just nightmarish experience in detention. And Australia is obligated by international law not to return asylum seekers to their home country and to protect them in some way, but they're not obligated to resettle them in their country, right? So some detainees from this hotel have been resettled The government now says that no person arriving by boat seeking asylum will be resettled in Australia. So you have some deals, like the U.S. will exchange asylum seekers. Apparently the U.S. has said that they will accept Medi, but it's been years, right? And nothing's happened. And Australia has even rejected New Zealand's offer to take asylum seekers who arrived by boat. So you have people in limbo like this. And so I, I just hope that We continue to talk about this long after the Australian Open is done. 
Under the Migration Act in Australia, the immigration minister has very broad powers, right? The immigration minister can cancel visas if the applicant might be, quote, a risk to the health, safety, or good order of the Australian community. That's very broad. We're recording at a time where we don't know if the immigration minister will act to cancel Novak Djokovic's visa. Well, hold on. Let me see what the Twitter timeline is saying. Maybe it's already happened. Under that description that you just gave, would, for example, they consider Novak to be a risk to the, quote, good order of the Australian community, given the riots that we saw last night? Right. And Christopher Tran, the lawyer who was arguing the government's position in the hearing, said that the immigration minister was still considering canceling the visa again, even after the judge's decision. And as I said before, and I have to cite Amy Lundy from Tennis Connected, who published an interview with an immigration lawyer, that kind of the basis of immigration law is that a nation controls its own borders and foreign nationals don't have the right to enter or stay unless allowed by that nation's government. So the government is arguing there's no such thing as an assurance to enter Australia, basically, until we say there is. You know, so the minister can remove access to the country for almost any reason. And again, we're certainly not saying that is that is just or moral, but that is how the law is set up. Mm-hmm. And is it just that Novak has been detained in this hotel? Probably not. Is it just that anyone is being detained in this hotel? No. I take your point. But again, the big difference is Novak can leave on a private mm-hmm. plane to his palace anytime he wants. Yeah, and that's... That's what's been called the asymmetry here, is that refugees don't have the luxury of going back to their home country. Their only choice at this point is to remain detained in these conditions. They're often fleeing conditions of serious economic strife, political warfare, fearing for their lives. Mm -hmm. This is not that. This is somebody looking to create history, to bank millions of dollars, to further his legacy. But I just want to get on the record that... This is in no way an endorsement of the border patrol of any country. Mm -hmm. La Migra. We are not uh, in favor of border policing. Yes, we are. I think (laughs) folks should know that we are very much (laughs) anti-Babylon. This final segment of the episode (laughs) deals with Djokovic himself, his family, and his fans. And a segue into that, a bit of breaking news for us and... A bit of breaking news for us, courtesy of Ben Rothenberg on Twitter. He tweets, quote, New, more document trouble for Novak Djokovic. On his Australian travel declaration, his ATD, released by a federal court yesterday, Djokovic stated that he had not traveled in 14 days prior to his January 6th arrival here. In fact, Djokovic had traveled from Belgrade to Spain within that time. According to Ben, the ATD form forewarns on that specific question, quote, note, giving false or misleading information is a serious offense. You may also be liable to a civil penalty for giving false or misleading information. Ben then gives his opinion that if there is intent in the government to re-examine his visa, this could hurt. Which is to remind you all at the time of this recording, there has been no new, new news regarding mm. what's actually going to happen to Novak, whether the government will cancel his visa again and then take steps to deport him or if he'll be allowed to continue on his path to the Australian Open. I think, so this is new information for us. This was not on the agenda. 
you found out about it at an opportune time, but I think it underlines the absurdity of this this whole saga, is that there's so much disingenuousness coming from all of the major players here, and Novak is not innocent, right? He's not a victim. He supposedly tested positive in December. He was out and about, even though he was positive. He lied about, or potentially lied about traveling on his border declaration. He has been consistently reckless and dismissive of this pandemic since the very beginning. So why now should we believe him, right? You hold the Adria tour, and then when it becomes a complete disaster, a super spreader event, you get COVID, hundreds of other people do, you say, well, it's all, it's all fine because I, I had good intentions and I was following the law, supposedly the rules in Serbia. Why, why would we gr- believe you now? Also, we've been sifting through all this mess on this episode, right? From all parties. Who did what? Who said what? Who messed up here? Who didn't relay this message? Who is at fault for this specific instant but did the right thing there? We are still of the opinion that if you are unvaccinated, you should not be doing this. That is our, the body serve opinion. I think I can speak for you. Like, if you, are, right. if you are unvaccinated, you should not be boarding a plane to try and enter another country at this particular time. It, it apparently is the Australian federal government's opinion as well. <laughs> right. So that alone is fucked up to us. That you should deem yourself able to even go down this path to make these backdoor deals potentially, to concoct things potentially, to... To puppeteer this to your benefit in these times like that is crazy and then for the outcome of this to be you being painted as the martyr as the one who is put upon as not the one who is the sole author of your own quote-unquote demise here i'm just not having it you know the the ptpas one of the first policy positions we heard from them was to limit the uh the health and safety rules around covid do you remember that last mm-hmm. last summer in 2020 uh i mean novak has been stunting from the fall forward about his vaccination status listen don't listen to the fake news about that he's confirmed whether or not he's vaccinated right throughout the fall he refused to confirm that and so now because documents have leaked we know that he's not and that he admitted he does not have a medical reason not to be vaccinated the the fans were were trying to say that these things were all on the record already. We know that now not to be true. But he had been pulling these stunts, making it this big this matter of intrigue, and now it's kind of blown up in his face. It's blown up in Craig Tidley's face. It's embarrassed the government of Australia, rightfully so. And I say all this not to exonerate the Australian government. But to say that Novak Djokovic's hubris has contributed quite a bit to this. Plain and simple. Yeah. How much less of a story would this have been had he not felt compelled to announce his arrival on social media as kind of a like a fuck you, well, here I come anyway, you salty bitches. Uh, there are so many like sliding doors moments, right? What if he didn't tweet that? What if he got vaccinated? What if he contracted COVID? Uh earlier or never 
right? What if, what if he never had a positive PCR test? Would he be here? What would he be as a human being if he did not have his parents referring to him as a Messiah, as Jesus Christ, as the leader of the free world, as somebody who is going to save people based on how he's moving around in this world? How do you come out of an environment like that when you have the people closest to in your life telling you that you are the greatest? In fact, he's been compared to Muhammad Ali, who was the greatest. Mm-hmm. He's been compared to Jesse Owens. Martin Luther King. Yeah. I've even seen, believe it or not, Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad. Oh. Uh, Why they all got to be black? Uh, that's a, that is a good question. Maybe we will uh, go into on another episode. Are, are people finally coming around to now that black people have been oppressed? That when you need to yeah, when you need to find somebody who has been historically and very notably oppressed, you go to a black person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but only when it's convenient, right? But in seriousness, this is something I've been thinking about a lot the past week. Like, what is it? I don't know. What is it like to be raised by people who believe that you are a transformative figure? What is it like to be Novak's brothers <laughs> when it's very clear you are not? And, you know, we haven't talked about the Djokovic parents in a long time. And we did talk about Joko dad at the end of last season just because he made some claims that were proven false again. Uh, And I don't like to bring players' families into it or blame the player for the behavior of their parents. And I'm not doing that here. But it is a serious part of the story that the Djokovic family has said publicly that Novak is in a, quote, dirty hotel for immigrants, that he's endured torture, that they're treating him like a terrorist at Guantanamo Bay, that uh, Queen Elizabeth should intervene in the treatment of Novak in Australia as, I guess, the head of state. Mm. Uh, I mean, like increasingly bizarre stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Today they held a press conference at their restaurant and it carried on for a bit. And then the youngest Djokovic was asked about the COVID test, if he could confirm that Novak tested positive on December 16th. And then he gave some response about, you know, we've issued all these documents that are legally binding or whatever, blah, blah. Said, yes, yes, he tested positive on December 16th. And the follow-up question is like, well, what, was he out and about on the 17th after he knew that he had COVID? And then this wry smile comes on the face of the young one and then says... This press conference has been adjourned. Yeah, that's uh, not great. Not great, Bob. Like, if you are looking for help in the PR department, if you're Djokovic, this is not it. Right, but they will tell you that's not what's at issue in the Australian legal system. They don't care if he went out in Serbia when he was positive. That doesn't have any bearing on his visa. But it does have a bearing on how people view him. And feel about his integrity. What's really troubling and weird about this whole thing is that the Djokovic family has accepted help from these far-right figures. Nigel Farage is the most visible one. The former leader of the UKIP party, former leader of the Brexit party, seen to be a nativist, seen to be anti-immigration in the UK, but for some reason is really, really pro-letting Djokovic into Australia. 
even though he previously praised Australia for its draconian immigration policies. But look at the other figures who are lining up behind the cause. John Isner, Tennis Angren, and then a, a bunch of various online white supremacists and anti-immigrant people, who I won't name, but you'll probably recognize their names. Why would you want support like this? I say the same thing about Martina and her crusade against trans women in sport. Why would you want support when it's coming from these people? And what does it say about your cause? I don't that, even that's know. the next question, like, right? And well, do you right. care? And do you care? And the thing is, like, a lot of these people would never support these policies if it affected someone who wasn't their class and their race. Or if it didn't align with some other ideology they hold, right? Because when people like Farage and the online racists line up behind this, this is a whole, like, own the libs thing. This is a, you know, it's an attack on the sheeple. The sheep, the scientific elite, the Western establishment. This is just about a win. And for some of these people, it's really just fun. Like, it's, a, it's amusement. And then there's a subversion of pro-choice. Yeah, let's talk about this. He's not anti-vax. He's pro-choice whether or not to take the vaccine or not. This is a talking point that I've seen repeated a lot verbatim. He's not anti-vax, he's pro-choice. It's not an original thought. To me, this is my opinion, only my opinion, remember, this this sort of perversion of the concept of being pro-choice is kind of the logical extreme of libertarianism, right? It's this empty political opinion that I can do what I want, absent of consequences to other people, absent of responsibility to my community or, you know, this idea of the social contract. The, absent, when we get down to it, the point is, I have the freedom to choose whatever the fuck I want to do. In this moment, it doesn't have to tie to your previous behavior. It doesn't have to be logically consistent. No. <laughs> It doesn't mean that this is who you've always been. This is what will benefit me the most now. And so I'm going to do it and I'm going to use it to my own political benefit. And then if I need to discard it tomorrow for another more expedient position, I'll do it too. Anyway, uh, by the time you've listened to this, potentially there has been a decision uh, on what's going to happen with Novak in Australia. I, I hope we don't have to come back and do another full episode on this stuff before <laughs> our Australian Open preview, which we hope to do by friday or so but who knows we <laughs> you know this stuff is just coming fast and furious but we'll end this episode by quoting from tamani carroll in the guardian because it kind of explains novak's behavior and that of some of his fan base quote it seems unlikely that Djokovic will look at this episode as an opportunity to grow more often than not the injustices that Djokovic is perceived to have suffered have the opposite effect only strengthening his resolve and reaffirming the belief that he is one man up against the world. I mean, his dad has said as much. Mm -hmm. So again, like, you hope that he uses this episode for good. And again, it is possible to separate this person from his parents and from the other people in his life. But, like, the past evidence doesn't really give me optimism. We're not referring to all of... Djokovic's fans, no, right? There, no, no, no. There's like a vocal minority that I think has if, really yeah. gone to the extreme. I think if you are a Djokovic fan, at least anyone who listens to us regularly, of which if, there may be a if handful. If you've held on. If you <laughs> suffered through that, I think you know what we're talking about. 
also a disclaimer, if you come at us on social media with bad faith arguments, it's just an immediate block. We, I mean, this is our forum here on this show. We don't use Twitter as a means of engaging with people about things that we've already stated our opinion on, on air. <laughs> right? So that, yeah, that's a futile... I, I personally like try to avoid having like full-scale arguments on Twitter. Mm-mm. Like I don't, I don't try to have political arguments on Twitter. I just use it as like a shit posting format. Back in season one or season two, we may have done that, but as of right now, we've we've fully accepted the Sloan method. Block, 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 block. I know there will be much more to talk about in the coming days, but we will be back uh, later this week with an actual Australian Open preview mm-hmm. where we talk about the tennis that has happened and will happen. There were five singles champions <laughs> last week. There's a ton to catch up on from last week and to to keep attentive on this week. Mm-hmm. But we'll be back soon. Uh, thank you for listening. Another plug for the GoFundMe. I know it seems shameless at this point, but it is what it is. <laughs> and if you've enjoyed the show recently or over the years, consider throwing us a few dollars uh, through our GoFundMe campaign. It is greatly appreciated and it goes so far toward helping us do more episodes like we did to start the season. If you enjoyed, in particular, our retrospective look at the 1999 WTA season, that stuff, it's what we enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. It just takes a lot more time. So if you haven't heard it, it's a lot less dour than this episode. (laughs) There was definitely more fun to be had. Uh Uh, So check it out. You can find The Body Serve on Twitter and Instagram at The Body Serve. Check out our Linktree at linktree.com slash The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. I'm Jonathan at tennis underscore John. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.